number one desirable Out of what I want, when I want, and how I want it Leave you with the one in the end I knew I was a leader way back in the fourth grade when I gave James a test after showing him how to use the Dewey Decimal System. He was in the first grade. Even at the age of 10, I instinctively understood the importance of performance measures. James told his mom about me and reported me to the principal the next day, and I've never gotten over that. Forty years later, I'm still trying to figure out how to stretch employees, not get in trouble, determine the perfect performance measure, and how to manage bossy bosses. I wanted to do this podcast to place the human side of leadership right in the middle of the room. I am Dr. Don Emmerich, and this is Leadership Uncensored. Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us for this next episode of Leadership Uncensored. Uh, my guest and I actually engaged several weeks ago about doing this podcast and of course life interrupted and work interrupted and I'm just so thankful that she has remained patient with me and we are going to have an excellent episode for you. Uh, today's guest is Terry Hoffman. Terry, thank you so much for joining me. Hi, Dawn. Thanks so much for having me. I'm very excited to join you today. Well, I equally am excited because once I share with the listeners your bio, I, you know, I'm just so grateful that you took the time to, to join me and my listeners. Uh, so let me let me share a little bit about this rock star that we have for you today. Uh, Terry Hoffman is the president and executive coach for Coaching Partners Group, a Hoffman coaching company. You know, I saw your bio and I was like, okay, usually everybody brings a bio and, and I have to cut it down. I don't want to cut it down. So do you mind if I just brag about you? This is just amazing. Absolutely. All right. So Terry partners with leaders and organizations to unleash their inherent brilliance. I love that. Exceeding their most ambitious goals. Terry works primarily at the VP level and above with mid-sized and large companies in multiple industries, including healthcare technology, financial services, manufacturing, legal, and board of directors. So important. Uh, Terry founded CPG to provide vital coaching services to organizations dealing with the 21st century trifecta of contemporary business challenges supercharged by the global pandemic and rapidly evolving market conditions. As a trusted partner to elite performers around the world, Terry knows business, which is so critical, right? Like you can be a coach from the personal perspective, but you got to understand the environment in which the folks that you're coaching with. I love it. Together with her team, she creates powerful coaching alliances with leaders, teams, and organizations resulting in leaders and teams that bring their best selves and their greatest potential into being. A true believer in the power of human potential, Terry is exceptionally skilled at coaching high performers and tailoring engagements to meet clients' business and human needs. She brings both experience and contemporary best practices to her work, engaging head, heart, spirit in every engagement. So one of the things that I was really impressed with were your credentials, right? Like, so you are um, an amazing, proven, exceptional leader, but I'm... I was particularly um, particularly interested and drawn to your mental health background. And it's so critical right now. And of course, that's where we find alignment, right? You and I have just, um, you know, I'm not a coach. I'm a change management expert, but there's a lot of overlap there, right? And what, uh, you know, the space that I'm in, 
really is working with that mental health and the trauma, the trauma piece that, um, that is really impacting people. And so it's very unusual to me anyway, maybe not in your world, but it's very unusual to see both the expertise in that organizational piece, as well as the mental health. And you, you are a, a licensed mental health counselor, right? I am. Yes. You know, and so before we jump in, talk a little bit about that. How has that, how has that helped you in this, in the coaching space that you operate in? So somebody said this, one of my uh, therapy intern supervisors said this way back in the day when I was getting trained to be a counselor and it resonated with me then. And it resonates with me now. If you are an architect and you walk into a building, you can't not see the elements that bring that building together. So Ooh. yes, as a mental health professional, you know, we all have varying degrees of mental health and mental unhealth, mental illness. And to be able to be aware of that and see that and work within that is tremendously helpful for all of us. Yeah, um, well, that is powerful. So if you think about the, the letter T, right? So you have the, the, the body of the T that goes down deep, right? So that's the depth of your expertise. That's, that's your subject matter experts, right? And then the top of the T is really that leader that has the perspectives across many domains that perhaps they don't have the depth of the, of the body of the T, but they have the, the, the range. That's what struck me when I looked at your credentials is that you have both you have the range and you have the depth and that is a very unique credentials i think and so i just wanted to really kind of bring that forward and just say again just thank you so much for lending your wisdom and and that range to this podcast absolutely and thank you for the kind words i'll try to live up to that uh vision <laughs> you're painting oh you'll be fine yeah i'm i'm sure of it so let's talk a little bit about, let's continue to talk a little bit about you and, um, you know, tell us about why you got into this work. What is your leadership philosophy? What's your journey, you know, and sprinkle in some lessons there. Let's, let's be uncensored with who you are, Terry. Okay. So for as long as I can remember, I have been obsessed with, you know, what it is about elite performers that caused them to be elite. And that's something you may have, I may have said this the last time we were together, that's something that I shared with my father. My father was a chef and he was a brilliant human being. He married a woman with five children and then had my brother and me and, and took care of those seven children, no matter what it took his whole entire life. But he also had this fascination. So he did different engagements. He worked at the Country Club of Colorado and the Olympic Training Center in Colorado. Mm. So he had like NFL teams that he interacted and made friends with. My father was the most uh, friendly, kind, loving human being that was ever on this earth. So that interest that we both had in connecting with people who had exceptional potential and figuring out what that was about just from the very early stage. And as I grew up, 
I was in athletics and different things. So teamwork was super, super important to me as well. And then going to college, I was the first person in my family that actually made that leap from graduate high school and go to college. And so I really didn't know what I was going to do. I was interested in psychology, what made people tick. But getting an advanced degree just wasn't in my realm of capability back then. So I ended up getting my bachelor's degree in uh, psychology at the Colorado State University in Colorado and came to Jacksonville shortly thereafter and started working my first professional job at a local mental health center. And that was, you know, early 20s. That was just the wildest experience of my life, some of the things that we did. And so much depth of learning about work, how to work as a grown-up, how to help people, the, the appreciation for the depths of challenges that some of us are faced with, and human rights. So the fact that mentally ill people may not choose to live in a fashion that I see as acceptable, but they have the right to choose how they're going to live their life to, to an extent until they become a danger to themselves or somebody else. So very, very deep uh, learning then. As I got my master's degree, I, one of the first courses that we took, one of the things that we had to do was stand up in front of the class and professed to the class what we wanted to do with our degree. And when it was my turn, I stood up and I said, I want to work with really successful people and help them be more successful. And this was like early 1990s. The professor literally scoffed at me and said, that doesn't exist. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) And it really, you know, wasn't mainstream back then. Uh, but, some, you know, some sort of drive, some some desire inside me. So I worked, I did a variety of different mental health jobs over about 15 years and loved it. Loved, I've loved every single thing that I've done my entire career. And little pieces and parts I've pulled from my career over my lifetime to, you know, create where I am today. But learned a lot. Uh gravitated. So one of the things that I did, I worked for a health system as a therapist, and my umbrella was family therapy. So um, I ended up working with some of the hospital executives, their families, marital counseling, that kind of stuff, and just really was attracted to super smart, super capable people that you could get up and close and personal with and share observations, have important, important conversations and their ability to take that learning and just run with it. That was always a thrill to see, to witness what is possible in human nature and see Mm. them attached to whatever it is that's beautiful about them and then make it happen. It's always been phenomenal to me. It's a huge charge. And so, you know, I did a lot of different things for the hospital system, ended up getting exposed to coaching and almost begrudgingly got trained as a coach in the beginning. And then about halfway through my training, I was like, wow, this is categorically different. Coaching mm-hmm. is different than therapy. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> got trained as a coach, got certified as a coach, tried to bring coaching to this hospital system. But this is in the mid 2000s. Coaching was not mainstream yet. So after a couple of years, it became very clear that I was going to do coaching and this hospital system was not had they've been willing to uh, entertain doing that, I'd probably still be working for them and developing their 
coaching program, but they weren't going to do it. I was right in the middle of the financial meltdown. I took that leap. I don't know what I was thinking, but, (laughs) and replaced my hospital income that first year, double digit growth every year for the next five years and, you know, never looked back. It's been an amazing experience. Well, Terry, what you were thinking is that the, the environment was right for you to take that risk, right? And look, and look, it it certainly paid off. Mm, Thank you. Yeah. And I think that's one of the themes. There's something deep inside that doesn't necessarily cognitively make sense, but can drive you if you can tap that and listen to it. What we wanted to talk a little bit about today is this idea of, you know, leaders who are often isolated, you know, and this notion of that it's lonely at the top. Um, I have said that many of times in some of my leadership positions in the past. Some of my peers who were in um, similar leadership roles also felt the same way. And so there's this, this idea of, you know, are you really lonely at the top? Are you choosing to be lonely at the top? Is it self-isolation or is it truly the environment that is creating the isolation? But it's real. And, and I think that there, there's so many things that we can unravel around that. And that's why I wanted you to come on because you deal mm. with that all the time with the level of leadership leaders that you are, are coaching. Let's talk a little bit about that. Let's dive right in on this idea that leaders are lonely at the top or isolated. So what's been your experience on that? Don, truer ner- words have never been said. That is so true. Um, and I think what happens, the higher you, higher you climb towards the top, the more isolated you become. And I think it's like all of the above, all the things that you talked about are elements of that. But I think what happens is, you know, there's less and less peers the higher you go. And naturally, people are less likely to tell you the truth about what's going on for a number of reasons. But, you know, they don't want to be in trouble. They don't want to look bad. They don't want to make you angry. Um, so unless leaders are able to be aware of that dynamic and break through it, that will that's probably the single most thing that interferes with executive success and company success is that isolation at the top for leaders. Interesting. So there's t- just a ton of mixed messages about, about how to handle that, right? And so if you think about, I, I can remember, oh gosh, I was probably, I'm going to tell everybody my age here. Um, I might've been 27, 28 years of age and I had just accepted a position. It was actually down in Tampa, Florida. And it was probably what I would say is my first executive position. And I had a female boss. And that female boss, one of the very first things that she said to me when she hired me is that you are surrounded by a bunch of men. Do not ever let them see you sweat. Clear, just a clear uh, position of do not show vulnerability, do not show weakness. You keep a smile on your face, you keep that head, your chin up, and you keep going. And what I found, that right there to me was a signal of isolation. And, and it, it actually shaped me for a very long time. That was advice that I got from someone that I really respected, who um, I would consider a mentor, and I followed that. 
And so I self-isolated because of that advice. Tell me more about that. Oh my God. Yes. Now you're giving me goosebumps, Dawn. I think that as we as women, which is a very important topic to me, have evolved. We've sort of gone through this re-envisioning of what leadership as a woman means. And so for a long time, we were like, you know, put on the business suit and act like a man and don't let them see your sweat. But in reality, we as women lead categorically differently than men do. And the evidence shows that companies that have women in the C-suite are more profitable and more successful. Um, but it's, it's, it is transitioning that because there are fewer women and that whole embedded uh, male dominant leadership style is almost everywhere. So how do we hold both of those at the same time and get filled in a way that benefits us as leaders? Because isolation is not good for anybody, but women tend to be more social, generally speaking. Boy, I, I mean, I've seen, I, you know, I had, I've had experiences with female leaders that, that do lead like men. Um, and I've had, I've had male leaders who have led very compassionately. And so it's really, it's a philosophical thing here. And that's why I think that it's such an interesting topic because um, there's a variety of pushes and pulls that determine how you want to lead. And that I, that's why I, thought, I talked about, you know, the self-isolation. So are you, are you choosing to isolate yourself because of your leadership philosophy or vice versa? You know, for me, like I, uh, I went from one end of the spectrum to the other. So I was very self-isolating because of that advice that I got early on in my late 20s. But then I swung the other way and actually became maybe too vulnerable where I didn't establish very good boundaries. I didn't want to be isolated anymore. I wanted to have those relationships with my staff and, um, and, and, and see myself of less of an authoritative figure and more of a peer, that was a bad decision. Mm. <laughs> so, so, you know, I would say in the last 10 years, I found that sweet spot where, you know, um, there are some things that you do need to sort of maintain some of that isolation, if you will, but yet not isolate yourself to the point where you're not approachable. What do you, what, what experience have you found in yeah. that journey with others? Yeah, I think, you know, don't confuse my kindness for weakness, right? Yes, yes. One element that's super important in what we're talking about and can be generalized to men and women is that authenticity, like knowing who you are and not using that isolation to hide who you don't want people to know who you are. So who, who are you legitimately and what are the strengths and attributes that you can bring forward that will make you happy, build your team, make your company stronger? And how do you utilize those? Uh, people tend to want to go towards weaknesses as human nature, but in reality, developing those weaknesses can be done. It's exhausting. It's slow. It's tedious. And you are very likely to, to slide back. So helping people get an accurate picture of who they are 
and what they want, what they want to achieve and you know, who's on their team. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I want to give you one more example and then I would love to hear some examples because you have a ton of stories um, that I think that the listeners could really benefit from. You know, and I share I shared this, you know, some of my own stories, because, again, I think um, these are the things that normalize this conversation, because I think that sometimes people feel like like if they're isolated and they're having a really difficult time in that leadership, they think that it's just them, that no one else is experiencing this because they're not talking to anyone. They've isolated themselves right. or they feel right. isolated. You know, and so I think, um, you know, one of the other challenges that I I encountered was there's only been a a couple of times where I've been the leader that answered to a board. Some of the other positions that I've had were executive leaders, but I had levels above me. So I didn't have full autonomy with my decisions. And interesting enough, more so recently, again, different philosophies of how you lead can, can change the way are some of the for, the external forces on on how you you know are in those top positions so as i mentioned i was at one end of the pendulum swung to the other way and then really found a sweet spot in that middle of being vulnerable but yet also understanding that there you know that there's a level of somewhat of some authority with my team and so a local reporter i was new to a position and a local reporter wanted to follow me for a day and um, and really get a sense of what it felt like to be an executive leader. And so, you know, some decisions that were made to allow this reporter to do it. And to be honest, I thought it was a really great, uh, I thought it was a really great reflection on just how tough it is and the vulnerability that came through. I can't tell you how many people called or sent me emails that said, thank you because that's what we need in leadership right now. Well, my leadership had a completely different reaction (laughs) to it. They thought that I came across weak. They felt like this was bad. It was bad for my organization. It was bad for my staff. And it just goes to show you the squeeze, right? So you you had your staff, I had my staff that were saying, thank you for showing the human side of leadership. And then my leadership were going, that was awful. You should have never done that. It was a sign of weakness. So I think that that squeeze comes a lot more often than not. And do you have any stories similar to that that you can share to normalize this conversation? Yeah, and I think that ultimately, as I grow and mature, I think that fit is so important and alignment is so important. And if you're not having those conversations up to the board and and to your staff as well, then you're both working under your own assumptions. And when your values aren't aligned, when your uh, philosophies aren't aligned, sometimes it can be disastrous when something like that happens. So, you know, finding the more I go along as a coach, finding companies that are aligned with my philosophy about taking risks and about the vision for the future 
um, makes it so much easier. And, you know, I know you are a powerhouse mm-hmm. and to have that support from your executive leadership or your board is everything. But having them see your top strengths as a vulnerability or a weakness for the organization. I mean, where are you going to go with that? Don? Right. right. Oh, I couldn't. I couldn't go anywhere because, you know, um, that's the that's the sandwich. That's the squeeze that you're in is that you 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 need to be a part of team one, which is your leadership team. But you also have team two, you know, which is your staff. And I wanted to display to my team that leadership is not an authoritative approach. It just isn't. And so I wanted to have that engagement. I wanted them to be able to come to me and have a conversation with me and feel like I am one of them and that I'm human and that Mm -hmm. it's okay. Um, But that was not supported. It was, yeah, it was so it was, yeah, it was not a good fit at all. Mm -hmm. And I think that as we come through the pandemic, that's sort of the lesson, one of the many lessons that we're learning as executives and collectively with our organizations is that like all the things that we were forced into that needed to happen anyway, but we were avoiding for one reason or the other, we were just, it was thrust upon us Mm -hmm. and we had to sink or swim. We had to figure out how to thrive in that. And so I think there's been this awakening and appreciation for vulnerability and authenticity and understanding that allowing executives and their staff to be human is the only alternative. Oh, no question. Um, What would you say has been one of your, one of the successes in your coaching um, that, you know, that you often maybe think about and go, yeah, this is why I do this work and this is why I love it. Mm. What has been a story? So many, so many amazing human, amazing human beings that I have coached and so many amazing teams that I've coached. And literally, I mean, it's, it's a, it's a sense, it's a feeling that when you can help somebody get real with themselves, who they are, what their strengths are, what their areas to work on are, and then where they want to be and walk with them as they make that journey is the most amazing and energizing thing ever. So I worked, I do a lot of work with physician executives. And so there was one very, very well known physician executive who was practicing as a physician and aspired to become a leader in her organization. And this is, you know, this is something that happens sometimes when you when you're coaching somebody that they discover what their passion is, they discover what their strength is, and their organization is no longer a fit. So that's a risk that an organization takes on when they have an executive coach come in, especially external executive coach come in. But it's really like, if you have that much confidence in your organization that you want to be the employer of choice, and if you understand mm. that having the right fit is going to be win-win for the, the employee executive and for the company, then those companies are willing to 
uh, take that risk and let them go. So that's one mm. uh, success story of this person that was too big for her company and ended up leaving. It was not easy. It was painful for all involved. And that person ended up in, a, in the right position and is thriving and is a, you know, nationally known leader hmm. in the healthcare industry because they had to make that hard choice. I love that. And it's so, is such a great reflection on why having a coach um, can be, you know, can change everything, you know, is that the idea of reaching out to a coach is an effort of, of, of getting yourself out of that isolation, right? Those mm -hmm. who feel like they're stuck don't reach out to anyone. And so they're right. going it on their own. Right. And, um, and then, you know, having confidence within yourself and the vulnerability within yourself to say, you know what, I could really use some help. The, the beauty of that coaching too, which is another barrier, I think, when you're isolated is that you don't feel like you can trust anyone. Right. Um, and you don't know who your allies are. You do not know who your enemies are. And mm -hmm. so then therefore you, you isolate yourself and you're like, I'll, I'll just go it alone because I don't, I can't trust anyone. And that, right. that your role as a coach plays a significant role in um, allowing someone to be vulnerable and, and to trust you. Right. Mm -hmm. Yes. I had a, a client organization once that they had not experienced coaching. So this was their first endeavor to do a coaching engagement. And when it started, they had two leaders that they wanted to have in coaching. One was a high performing caustic leader that upset everybody all the time. The other one was truly the star mm. performer. Mm -hmm. And then the third person, this CEO of this company was like, well, if I'm gonna ask my leaders to be in coaching, I should be in coaching myself, which was probably the most brilliant person thing that person ever did. But it was years later, I develop, I very frequently develop strong business relationships with my clients. It was years later that the person that was the star performer actually said to me, you know, I know they said they wanted to offer me a coach and um, they said I was a star performer, but I just knew I was about to get fired. I just knew I was in trouble. I saw the other person. I was aware of the other person's interpersonal problems. And I just knew that said something about me. So, you know, it's a, a exercise in vulnerability to trust that coaching process. Yeah. Uh, but again, International Coaching Federation coaches, which is the kind of coach that I am, we are uh, responsible for coaching ethics. So, you know, you have to be honest. You have to, if the if the client can benefit from uh, some other modality other than coaching ethically, you've got to refer them. You There's confidentiality, all the things. So uh, making sure that you get a coach that is bound by ICF or a similar ethics is super important. What are some of the, you know, maybe top three pieces of advice that you would give someone if they're listening right now and they feel like they're really alone they love their job, but they're really isolated and they don't know what to do. What, mm. what, what are some quick pieces of advice that you would give that person? So the first thing that pops up to me is not knowing is much worse than knowing. So, mm. you know, in coaching, you know, people go through life and they're like, I really don't know what my brand is. I don't know how I'm coming across. There's ways, there's assessments, there's 
you know, interviews, there's different things that we can do to get answers because when you have something to work with, you can do the work. So Good point. I would say <laughs> it's scary, but it's a whole lot scarier not knowing and trying to navigate through a system. So get the data that you need that can help you inform yourself. And usually at the executive level, you're there for a reason. You've been able to uh, be very successful. So getting that information and uh, acting on it is super important. Um, what else? You know, I know we've, isolation has been the theme, but no man is an island unto himself or herself. And you are not going to succeed isolated. Mm -hmm. You need your team and you need your stakeholders. This is the other big thing that I've been doing in the last year and a half is systemic team coaching, helping executives and their teams see what their stakeholders need from them and what the future demands from them and mm. things that they can't do without their team, things that their team, that the world needs from their team that nobody else can do. Um, so collaboration is just so important. Yeah. Really great advice, Terry. Um, and I almost feel like we, we could have a whole nother, you, oh, you know what? I was really just, just literally just thinking, wouldn't it be awesome to have, I would love to have another podcast where we can have, you know, two or three young aspiring leaders come on and you and I, you and I could really just have some great interaction on what there's both, you know, male and female and go, you know, what is it that you're experiencing at 25, 26 years of age right now that will help you avoid some of the things that we're talking about as experienced leaders. That would mm -hmm. be amazing. Just to I love that, that. Don. And I love what the new the millennials and the gen z are bringing into the workforce is phenomenal they they do not have the the baggage that our generation has in the workplace they're able to see through problems and you know execute I, so much more quickly i agree with that that would that would actually be a really interesting podcast to do because i think that our generation is sort of um we're sort of transitioning um, away from, well, the authoritative leader has been transitioning, but it's still there. There's still still a hold, right? But I think our generation of leadership is in that transition phase between that and what the millennials are bringing in to that workforce. Yeah. Some yeah. people struggle with it. Some people are, you know, like for me, I'm, I tend to lean a little bit more toward that, um, mm -hmm. toward the millennial, uh, you know, uh, style of, of leadership and more flat organizations versus and you know a democratic kind of leadership approach. So it's fascinating stuff. I mean, I so let's let's talk a little bit. Let's more do about that. that. <laughs> I'm I'm down. Let's do that. Let's do that. Okay. So now we're going to transition into um, our 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 famous thirty second hot seat. It's never thirty seconds, but we sure do try. But it's really kind of fun. Basically. I'm going to prompt you. So round one, there's two rounds. The first round is that there's a series of leadership related prompts. Um, and then I want you to respond to them with three words or less, and it's going to be rapid fire. So we're going to get through that pretty quickly. Once we're done with that round two of that would be, 
I'm going to try to listen to your responses. And if there's something that really intrigues me, whether it, it hits my funny bone or it's kind of weird or something that I've never heard before, I'm going to zero in on that and I'm going to ask you to explain it. And we're going to have a discussion around what all of that means. Uh, does that make sense? Absolutely. Ready to go. All right. So let's go ahead and get started. The 30 second hot seat starts right now. The good. Show up. The bad. Tamped down. The funny. Manipulation. Ugly. Toxic cultures. <laughs> the worst. Lost. The best. Karma. The kick ass. Little Robbie. The lesson. Parenting. <laughs> oh my God, yes. <laughs> the redemption. Almost fired. The cry. Don't die. <laughs> I don't know which one to pick. The embarrassing. Oatmeal mass. All right. And scene. Yes. Thank you so much for that. Oh my gosh. Okay. I say this in every episode. I don't know which one to pick because this is why I love this 30 second hot seat. You had, um, well, first of all, the oatmeal mask. Who was, the, when you said um, the redemption, what did you say for the redemption? Almost fired. Almost fired. Okay, yeah, I might want to look at that one. And then you had a little Robbie. That was for... That was kick-ass. Ah, okay. Now I got to flip the coin. I want to hear about Robbie. Okay. Tell me about Great Robbie. Great answer. Yay. So, you know, as, as we... I love this story, and I think there's leadership lessons in it. Um, as I mentioned... My first job when I came to Jacksonville was working with the chronically and persistently mentally ill. I was a case manager, which is like being a mom for 40 mentally ill adults, young wow. adults. Wow. So this young man, his name was Robbie. He was older than me at the time because I was very young. And he kept getting arrested. So his parents lived in another city. And he would hitchhike to that city and go to their home. Apparently, you know, they were well off, lived in a nice place. He would go there. They would call the cops. He would. He was schizophrenic. So he had some very severe mentally ill issues that made him frequently need to be in the hospital. So he would, he would hitchhike there. He would get there. They would ar uh, arrest him. He'd end up in the psychiatric hospital. So I was a new uh, case manager then. And I was frustrated, didn't know what to do, didn't know how to change it. It was a horrible story, mm. horrible, horrible story in, in the way some people have to live their lives. And so one day I went and visited him and I was like, Robert, you cannot hitchhike to your parents' house anymore. <laughs> and finally he turned around to me and he said, how would you feel? What if they took your credentials? Because, you know, I have my little name tag that gets me in and out of the hospital. Uh -huh. What if they took your credentials, credentials, took everything that you owned and called you little Robbie? How would you feel then? Oof. And I was just like, Gulp. even my young and experienced young adult, it got through. And I literally would dream about that Wow. at night. Like dream about losing everything including losing your mind and uh, what that might mean as a human being oh terry 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I got And so, you know, I think about that as a leader. Like, as leaders, we have so much power and so much influence. And we have to be careful about how we wield that power and what we use that power for. 1,000%. 1000%. It happens all that. That was a powerful story. I'm so glad that I selected that for you to expound on. And the, the, the misdirection or the misuse of that power and influence um, in ways of focusing so much on productivity and getting the work done that you crap on your staff. Mm-hmm. And, and to be honest, when I look back at my 20 something year old self dealing with Robbie, what was I responding to Robert? Um, what was I responding to? I was responding to my own internal overwhelm and my feeling like I wasn't doing good enough because my job, my job was to stop him from crashing his parents' house. Wow. And in reality, my job was to help him function to the best that he could in, in the world that he was dealt. Wow, that was just really powerful. Thank you for sharing that. And, Absolutely. Um, you know, all of those things shape us of who we are as leaders, but also as human beings. So, um, mm-hmm. again, thank you for sharing that. You know, this has been great. I think I think we do need to do a follow-up, Terry. I think we're just kind of scratching the surface on this. And there's some really good lessons here that I think we can, we can do some more um, sharing some wisdom. But, you know, what are some departing words or advice that uh, that you have for, in addition to what you've already shared with us, what are some other departing words and where can people learn more about you? Well, you can definitely connect with me on LinkedIn. It's Terry Hoffman with two N's, T-E-R-R-Y Hoffman with two N's. Uh, coachingpartnersgroup.com is our website. And, you know, I love, love to connect with people and hear stories. So let's, let's reach out. Um, So as I was thinking about what, what I might want to leave your listeners with, I think it underscores everything we talked about today, but the era of the heroic leader is past. You as a leader are not going to be able to go as far as fast if you stay isolated. What, what the world needs now is collaborative leaders, leaders who are able to connect with their peers, with every angle and every of each of their stakeholders and collaboratively pull out the collective strength in those around them. And the world needs leaders now more than ever. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's really good. And, you know, and I've had the fortune of just having um, done many of these leadership podcasts now. And every time I have one, I'm always thinking about the previous podcasts that I've had and some of the advice and some of the things that come into that. And, you know, and I often like, um, you know, one of, one of the podcasts that I did in season one was this idea of being the only one. And this was a reflection on some of our black uh, African-American leaders who often find, who oftentimes find themselves being the only one in the C-suite or the only one in a meeting or the only one on committees or boards. And so that in itself can be self-isolating, right? And yes. so this, yes. this, this advice and these, and this guidance that you're giving is something that is transferable across um, so many dimensions. And so again, if you 
if you're familiar with that podcast or you yourself as a listener um, are a person of color or a same thing with gender, you know, so if you're the only woman that are in these situations, it's easy to self-isolate yourself. And so, you know, I think what Terry's advice is so relevant is don't um, lean in, um, get a coach like what Terry does professionally. And she's so well respected in that space, but don't self-isolate yourself, lean into this forge those collaborations, understand those allyships and um, yeah, counter that instinct to sort of withdraw in. Yeah. And if you are in the majority, understand clearly that a diversity in perspectives has a direct connection to your bottom line profitability. So um, get some of those voices in the room. We need them. Oh, that's such great advice. Terry, well, this was just um, awesome. Thank you again for taking your time to do this. And I'm so glad that we finally connected. And let's definitely talk about a follow-up podcast. Absolutely. Thank you, Dawn. It's always a blast to, to talk to you. Yeah. Thanks a lot. And thank you so much for listening. I hope that you enjoyed this conversation. Join us the next time.